Hello chaps, it's Mark from English on Command and today, finally, we're going to read a new book. Not just a book, but the best book of all times, it's called The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. It's the best, it's the favorite book of Elon Musk when he was a kid, he loved it so much and today I'm going to read it to you. Now, this is the first time I'm reading it, so I'm going to stop, I'm going to make mistakes but I'm also going to explain you all the words which are hard to understand or maybe uh, grammar constructions uh, and more, okay? So buckle up and let's go! The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy Now, Hitchhiker, now who is that? Hitchhiker is a person who travels usually somewhere in the US or Canada or Europe, it's quite popular there, uh, between cities. What you do is you take a cardboard you write down the destination you send by the roads and you hope someone's going to stop and pick you up and, uh, well, uh, drop you off at another point. Usually it's for free, sometimes it's paid, but most of the time it's for free. So this is hitchhiking, traveling for free by catching different rides. Now, how about you? Have you ever done it? I think I have once or twice, but uh, it's not, no, it's not, not a big fan of that. But anyway, let's move on with the book. Now, the preface. Preface also means introduction. So, let's go. Far out in the uncharted backwaters of the unfashionable end of the western spiral arm of the galaxy lies a small, unregarded yellow sun. Orbiting this at a distance of roughly 92 miles, I'm sorry, million miles, as an utterly insignificant little blue-green planet whose ape-descended life forms are so amazingly primitive that they still think that digital watches are a pretty neat idea. The planet has, or rather had, a problem, which was this. Most of the people in it were unhappy for pretty much all the time. Many solutions were suggested for the problem. But uh, most of these were largely concerned with the movements of small green pieces of paper. Which is odd, because on the whole it wasn't a small green piece of paper that weren't happy. And so the problem remained. Lots of people were mean, and most of them were miserable. Even the ones with digital watches. Many were increasingly of the opinion that they would all made a big mistake in coming down from the trees in the first place. And some said that even the trees had been a bad move, and that no one should ever have left the oceans. And then, one Thursday, nearly 2,000 years after one man had been nailed to a tree for, for saying how great it would be to be nice for people for a change, one girl, sitting on her own in a small cafe in Rixmansworth, it's in Great Britain of course, suddenly realized what it was that had been going wrong all this time. And she finally knew how the world could be made a good and happy place. This time it was right, this time it would work and no one would have to get nailed to anything. Sadly, however, before she could go to the phone and tell anyone about it, a terribly stupid catastrophe occurred and the idea was lost forever. But this, this is not her story. But it's the story of the terrible, stupid catastrophe and some of its uh, consequences. It is also the story of a book, a book called The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. It's not an Earth book, 
never published on Earth, and until the Terby catastrophe occurred, never seen or heard by any Earthman. Nevertheless, a wholly remarkable book. In fact, it was probably the most remarkable book ever to come out of the great publishing houses of Ursa Minor, of which no Earthman, of course, had ever had heard either. Not only is it a wholly remarkable book, it is also a highly successful one. More popular than the Callistial Home Care Omnibus, uh, better selling than 50 more things to do in Zero Gravity, and more controversial than Ulun Kupfi's trilogy of philosophical blockbusters where God went wrong. Uh, some more of God's greatest mistakes, and uh, who is this God person anyway? In many of the more relaxed civilizations on the outer eastern rim of the galaxy, the Hitchhiker's Guide has already supplanted the great Encyclopedia Galactica as the standard repository of all knowledge and wisdom, for though it has many omissions and contains much that is uh, apocryphal and, or at least wildly inaccurate, it scores over the older, more pedestrian work in two important respects. Now first, it is slightly cheaper, and secondly, it has the words Don't Panic inscribed in a large, friendly letters on its cover. But the story of this terrible, stupid Thursday, the story of its extraordinary consequences, and the story of how these consequences are inextricably intertwined with this remarkable book begins very simply. It begins with a house. Alright, chapter 1. The house stood on a slight rise just on the edge of the village. It stood on its own and looked over a broad spread of west country farmland. Not a remarkable house by any means, it was above 30 years old, squattish, squarish, made of brick, and had four windows set in the front of a size and proportion which more or less exactly failed to please the eye. The only person for whom the house was in any way special was Arthur Dent. And that was only because it happened to be the one he lived in. He had lived in it for about three years, ever since he had moved out of London because it made him nervous and irritable. He was about uh, 30 as well, dark-haired and never quite at ease with himself. The thing that used to worry him most was the fact that People always used to ask him about uh, what he was looking or worried about. He worked in the local radio, which he always used to tell his friends was a lot more interesting than they probably thought was. It was too, most of his friends worked in advertising. They hadn't properly registered with Arthur that the council of the city wanted to knock down his house and build a bypass instead. At 8 o'clock on Thursday morning, Arthur didn't feel very good. He woke up blearily, got up, wandered playily around his room, opened a window, saw a bulldozer, found his slippers and stormed off to the bathroom to wash. Toothpaste on the brush, so scrub, 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 shaving mirror, pointing the ceiling, he adjusted it. For a moment it reflected a second bulldozer through the bathroom window. Properly adjusted, it reflected Arthur Dan's bristles. He shaved them off, washed, dried, and stomped off to the kitchen to find something pleasant to put in his mouth. Kettle plug, fledged, mainly coffee. Yo. 
The word bulldozer wandered through his mind for a moment uh, in search of something to connect with. The bulldozer outside the kitchen window was quite a big one. He stared at it. Yellow, he thought, and stomped off back to his bathroom to get dressed. Passing the bathroom, he stopped to drink a large glass of water and another. He began to suspect that uh, he was hungover. Hanover means when you drink a lot, the next morning you were hungover. Uh, why was he hungover? Had he been drinking that before? He supposed that he must have been. He caught a glint in the shaving mirror. Yellow, he thought. Huh. And stopped onto the bedroom. He stood and thought. Uh, the pub, he thought. Oh dear, the pub. He vaguely somewhat remembered being angry. Angry about something that seemed important. <sighs> He'd been telling people about it, telling people about it uh, at great length. He rather suspected his clearest visual recollection was of glazed looks of other people's faces. Something about a new bypass he had just found out about. It had been in the pipeline for months, only no one seemed to have known about it. Ridiculous. He took a swig of water. Um, it would sort itself out, he decided. No one wanted a bypass. The council didn't have a leg to stand on. It would sort itself out. God, what a terrible hangover it had earned him through. Now, in looking at himself in a wardrobe mirror, he stuck out his tongue. Uh, yellow, he thought. Uh, the word yellow wandered through his mind in search of something to connect with. Fifteen seconds later, he was out of the house and lying in front of the big yellow bulldozer was advancing up his garden path. Mr. Al Prosser was, as they say, only human. In other words, he was a carbon-based life form descended from an ape. More specifically, he was 40, fat and shabby and worked for the local council. Curiously enough, though uh, he didn't know if he was also a direct mainland descendant of uh, Genghis Khan. Oh, that's fun. Uh, it's the uh, Mongolia, right? Uh, oh, not owner, the, the Tsar or ruler or something. He killed many people. Well, anyway, though intervening generations and racial mixing had so juggled his genes that he had no reasonable Mongolot characteristics. And the only vestiges left Mr. Prosser of his uh, mighty ancestry were a pronounced stoutness about the, the tongue and a uh, predilection for little fur hats. He was by no means a great warrior. In fact, he was a nervous, worried man. Today, he was particularly nervous and worried because something had gone seriously wrong with his job, which was to see that Arthur's den house got cleared out of the way before the day was out. Come off it, Mr. Dan, he said. You can't win, you know. You can't lie in front of bulldozers indefinitely. And he tried to make his eyes blaze furiously, but they just wouldn't do it. Arthur lay in the mud and squelched at him. I'm game, he said. We'll see who rusts first. I'm game means, well, like, the game is on, like Sherlock Holmes used to say. Well, I'm afraid you're going to have to accept it, said Mr. Prosser, gripping his forehead and rolling around the top of his head. This bypass has got to be built, and it's going to be built. First of, first of heart of it, said Arthur. Why is it going to be built? Mr. Prosser shook his finger at him for a bit, then stalled and put it away again. 
What do you mean what's got to be built, he said? It's a bypass. You've got to build bypasses. Bypasses are a device which allows some people to drive from point A to point B very fast, whilst other people dash from point B to point A very fast. People leaving point C being a point directly in between are often given in wonder what's so great about point A that so many people of point B are so keen to get there. And what's so great about point B that so many people of point A are so keen to get there. They often wish that people would just once and for all, wor all work out where they are, how they wanted to be. Well, Mr. Prosser wanted to be at point D. Point D wasn't anywhere in particular, it was just any convenient point, a very long way from points A, B and C. He'll have a nice little cottage at point D, with access over the door and spend a pleasant amount of time at point E, which would be the nearest pub at point D. Uh, his wife, of course, wanted climbing roses, but he wanted access. He didn't know why, he just liked access. He flushed hotly water under the derisive greens of the bulldozer driven. <sighs> he shifted his weight from foot to foot, but it was equally uncomfortable on each. Obviously, somebody had been appallingly incompetent, and he hoped to God it wasn't him. Mr. Prosser said, You are quite entitled to make any suggestions or protests at the appropriate time, you know. Appropriate time, who did Arthur? Appropriate time, the first I knew by was when a workman arrived at my home yesterday. I asked him if he'd come to clean the windows and he said no, he'd come to demolish the house. He didn't tell me straight away, of course. Oh no. First he wiped a couple of windows and charged me a fiver. Then he told me. <laughs> but uh, Mr. Dan, the plans have been available in the local planning office for the last nine months. Oh yes. Well, as soon as I heard, I went straight round to see them yesterday afternoon. You hadn't exactly gone out of the way to call attention to them, had you? I mean, like you actually telling anybody or anything? But the plans were on display. On display? I eventually had to go down to the cellar to find them. That's the display department. Well, it with a torch. <laughs> well, the lights had probably gone. So, had the stairs. But look. You found the notes, hadn't you, didn't you? Yeah, said Arthur. Yes, I did. It was on display in the bottom of the locked filling cabinet, stuck in a disused lavatory with a sign on the door saying, Beware of the leopard. A cloud passed overhead, it cast a shadow over Arthur's dent as it lay propped up on his elbow in a cold mud. It caused a shadow of the Arthur's dent house. Mr. Prosser frowned it. It's not as if it's a particularly nice house, he said. I'm, I'm sorry, but I happen to like it. You'll like the bypass. Oh, shut up, said Arthur Dan. Shut up and go away and take a bloody bypass with you. You haven't got a leg to stand on, you know it. Mr. Prosser's mouth opened and closed a couple of times with his mind was for a moment filled with inexplicable the terribly attractive visions of Arthur's dense house being consumed with fire, and Arthur himself running screaming from the blazing ruin with at least three hefty spears protruding from his back. Mr. Prosser had often bothered with visions like this, and they made him feel very nervous. He started for a moment and then pulled himself together. Mr. Dent, he said. Hello, yes. 
Sarathar. Some factual information for you. Have you any idea how much damage that bulldozer would suffer if I just let it roll straight over you? How much, Sarathar? None at all, said Mr. Prosser. And stormed nervously off wondering why his brain was filled with a thousand hairy horsemen, all shot him. But by a curious coincidence, none at all is exactly how much suspicion Lieutenant Arthur Dan had that one of his closest friends was not descended from an ape, but was in fact from a small planet in the vicinity of Betelgeuse, and not from Guilford, as he usually claimed. Arthur Dan had never, ever suspected this. This friend of his had first arrived on the planet some 15 Earth years previously, and he had worked hard to blend himself into Earth society, with, uh, it must be said, some success. For instance, he had spent those 15 years pretending to be an out-of-work actor, which was plausible enough. He had made one careless blunder, though, because he had skimmed a bit on his uh, preparatory research. The information he had gathered had led him to choose the name Ford Prefect as being nicely inconspicuous. Inconspicuous. It was not conspicuously tall. He, his features were striking, but not conspicuously handsome. His hair was wiry and gingerish and brushed backwards from the temples. His skin seemed to be pulled backwards from the nose. There was something very slightly odd about him, though it was difficult to say what it was. Perhaps it was that his eyes didn't blink often enough, or when you talked to him for any length of time, your eyes began literally to water on his behalf. Perhaps it was that he smiled lightly to broadly and gave people an unnerving impression that he was about to go for their neck. He struck most of his friends he had made on Earth as an eccentric but a harmless one, an unruly boozer with some oldish habits. For instance, he would often gate-crash university parties, get badly drunk and start making fun of any astrophysicist he would find until he got thrown out. Sometimes he would get seized with oddly distracted moods and stare into the sky as if hypnotized until someone asked him what he was doing. Then he would start guiltily for a moment, relaxed and grinning. Oh, just looking for flying saucers. A saucer is like a plate, which also means this alien ship, a saucer. Uh, you would joke and everyone would laugh and ask him what sort of flying saucers he was looking for. Green ones. He'd reply with a wicked grin. <laughs> grin to smile your teeth. Laugh wildly for a moment and then suddenly launch for the nearest bar and by enormous round of drinks. Events like this usually ended badly. Ford would get out of his skull on whiskey, huddle into a corner with some girl and explain to her its slurred phases that honestly the color of the flying sources didn't matter that much really. Alright, we're going to stop here guys. The next part will be about, well about Actually, the whole world being demolished, but, um, well, you're going to find out why. So we're going to stop here. I hope you enjoyed this part. I'll see you in part two. Bye-bye. Have a great day.